Amen. If you turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 7, we'll begin with verse number uh, 1. Like Ronnie mentioned earlier, we, me and him, we went to go get a, uh, go get a haircut Friday. And uh, usually when we go get a haircut, we go usually at a time where there's not many people there. It's usually just me and him and maybe one other person there getting the haircut. But we went this time at Friday afternoon when everybody was getting off and everybody's going to get their hair did. You know, all us guys won't get our hair did for the weekend, so we'll look good. But uh, anyway, we were, uh, we were in there, and, um, and, and I happened to, uh, to, to notice when uh, a gentleman would get up there and he'd get his, uh, his hair cut, and after he'd get his hair cut, instead of, uh, instead of leaving, he would just go and, uh, and sit back down and just pick up a magazine. And, of course, we'd look up and some of us start teasing like, uh, well, you, you must not want to get home to the wife quite yet, do you? And, uh, and he looks like, no, I, no, she won't be home to five. I, I'm just here. And then uh, somebody else would get up, and they'd get their hair did, and uh, they'd finally get done, and they'd go. And instead of leaving, they'd sit down too. And I, and I kind of thought in my mind, I was wondering, why is everybody staying? Why doesn't want anybody of these people want to go home? But as time went on, I figured out why they didn't want to go home. Because as soon as you would walk out of the barbershop and, sh- and shut that door, that's when everybody started talking about you. And every person and every person who would walk out that door, as soon as that door shut, you know, we'd start talking. Somebody would say, you know this one, and that was who that, who that was and what they did and what they used to do. And they'd start telling those stories about what they did. So that's why they were afraid to go out there. And I was getting my hair cut, and I was like, man, I just can't imagine what they're going to say about me when I leave this place. And uh, you know, so it kind of makes you paranoid, but uh, I kind of thought about that as I was uh, reading these verses for our, our message tonight, uh, this morning, because Jesus ends it by speaking of the centurion, and he says, Tonight in Israel have I seen such faith. And I kind of want us to think this morning as we go through these messages, I want us to think about the Lord sitting around, maybe with a group of the angels, and, or, or, maybe with, uh, or, or maybe with like... Uh, uh, Job was, maybe uh, the Lord even talking with Satan himself, or maybe the Lord talking about with other people there in heaven. And I kind of want to imagine you walking by, and as you walk by, and as that door kind of shuts behind you, as you done walk by the Lord, and who's ever there in his company, I want you to imagine the Lord turning around and saying something about you. What do you think the Lord would say about your faith? What do you think the Lord would be saying about your walk with Him and how you live your life? Would the Lord have a story to tell about me or to tell about you about your strength of faith and how you, just like this centurion, would be an example of how others should live their life? So let's think about that as we read together in the book of Luke chapter 7 and begin with verse number 1. And it said, After he, that being Jesus, had finished these things, um, say, these sayings in the hearings of the people, uh, and he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly, valuable, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him, elders of the Jews, asking him to come and to heal his servant. 
And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who has built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another one, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does that. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd and following him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those had been sent return to the house, they found the servant well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these few moments, Lord, to just study your word. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, just for the, the honor and the privilege, Lord, that you have provided us, Lord, with your word. And Lord, how it is able to guide us, Lord, and how it is able to strengthen us. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, there in these few moments, Lord, as we open up your word. Lord, you, you search our hearts. And Lord, we look inside ourselves, Lord, to see what our faith is. Lord, is our faith worthy of setting example for those people around us? And to think about what story that you could tell about us. Lord, let us understand, Lord, of your greatness. Lord, you are worthy of all your honor and your praise. And Lord, we're not worthy, Lord, to even be in your presence. Lord, brought through your Son, Lord, you have made us worthy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There's a lot of things that we can like and that we can admire about this centurion. Now, I remember when I talked about uh, these, uh, this verse of Scripture about two years ago when we talked about it there in Matthew chapter 8, going through some of that gospel, I asked the question, and I asked this particular question, and nobody knew the answer, but at the end, we learned the answer. So at this time, I want to evaluate how you're growing in the Word and knowledge and how good of a job I'm doing of teaching you Scripture. So I'm going to ask you this question again. How many soldiers is a centurion over? A hundred. Very good. I think you were the one that got it last time. A hundred. That's right. So we see this man, this soldier, and uh, he was over a uh, hundred soldiers. And uh, he was in charge of uh, keeping up order there in Capernaum. And so there uh, he was, and we learned some things that are very admirable about this person. The first thing we learn about this centurion is that he cared about other people. We see this incident to where he was, where he had a servant. And someone who was a servant to the centurion means that he was someone who was bought. He was someone who has served the uh, centurion under a compulsion. Either he became in debt or he was involved in some other means. But anyway, he was a bought person. He was almost kind of like regarded in many eyes as being a property, of being an item. 
And so you would think that, hey, here's someone who is uh, just a, a hired person. Here's someone that's pretty much just like property who is sick and that he would not care that much about him. But yet we see that this centurion had such a faith, had such a relationship and had such a good character that he cared even about his servants, even about those who may be regarded as property. And he cared about them. And he saw that this person was sick and that he was about to die. And because of his compassion for him and because of his love for him, he longed for a way to be provided for his servant to be healed. So he cared about people. And that is a very admirable characteristic about a person. And so we have to ask in our life, are we people who are known, who are, who are known as people who care about other people, even about those who others may look of as lowly, even those who may be regarded as not having much value? Are we people who are concerned about the needs and the struggles of other people around us? But we see another admirable thing about this person is that the centurion some way heard about all the things that Jesus had done. Maybe he heard a story. Maybe he heard somebody talk about some of the miracles that they had seen Jesus do. And they heard these stories. And in some way he believed it. And he said, well, maybe Jesus can help me. So he sought out Jesus in order to help him with his problems. So not only did he care about other people, but he also cared enough and believed enough in Jesus that he actually sought Jesus out to help him through his problem. What are we like? A lot of times we want to have Jesus be our own personal assistant. We want Jesus to help us through our problems. We want Jesus to help us through our situations, but we never really give enough about the other people who are around us to ask and to go to Jesus on behalf of other people to see that the Lord would do something for them. So he was a person who cared about other people. He was a person who believed in Jesus and sought him out and said, maybe this person could help me out. And so he called they called some of the religious, leader there, religious leaders there, some of the Jews, and say, hey, I've heard about this Jesus, and I heard he can heal people, so I want you to seek him out, and I want you to find him, and I want you to ask Jesus to heal my servant. And so they go out, and they find Jesus, and as they approach Jesus, the first thing they tell Jesus is they tell him the request that this centurion's servant needs to be healed. And then they made the comment is that he is worthy for you to do this. He is worthy to, for you to do this. And then they named some of the things that he did is that he is a person who loved their nation, who loved the Jewish people, and who actually built the synagogue that they worshiped in. And so this was a person who not only cared about other people, who not only outsought Jesus out for the source of his help, but someone who had a good reputation among the people. He had a good reputation among the people. And that was very uncommon 
for the Roman soldiers that were there governing over the lands of the Jews or really the lands of everywhere. Because a lot of times what these centurions would do is that they would use their power, they would use their position for their own good. They would use it to get them money. They would use it to push the other people around. They would use it to get the things that they would want it. They would use it for their own personal benefit. But here was this young man. Here was this centurion that instead of using his position for his own good, he used it as an opportunity for generosity and to help other people. He used his position not as a means of authority to lord over them, but he made himself a servant to them. And isn't that what Jesus tells us? Isn't that what Jesus tells us to do? You remember when uh, they were going down the road, Jesus and the, and, uh, and the apostles, and the fight broke out talking about who was the greatest and who's going to be number one, and who's going to sit on the right, and who's going to sit on the left. And they squabbled and argued, I'm number one. No, I'm number one. No, I'm number one. I'm the greatest. And that's what their conversation was all the way home. And then Jesus looked at him and said, that's not the way. That's not the way it is in my kingdom. If you want to be good in my kingdom, if you want to be number one in my kingdom, then you make yourself a servant. He said, you know what, you know, the, uh, the sinners, that the Greeks, that the Gentiles, that all those other people, that's what they do with their power and position. They use it as an opportunity for personal gain. They use it as an opportunity to the Lord over people. But that's not to be you. That is not to be you and my disciples. What I teach you is that you make yourself great by making yourself a servant. That's what this man did. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't in any way a part of God's people. But that was what was in his heart. And so you see that there's a lot that we can already like about this man. He was someone who cared about other people. Someone who sought Jesus out to help him for his needs and his problems. And someone who used his position for the opportunity of service and someone who had a good reputation from the people around him. But what Jesus wants us to see and what Jesus wants us to admire is what happens next. And what happens next is something truly fantastic because Jesus hears these religious leaders saying that this man is worthy. And he wants to sort of us to contrast what they said about this man and what this man says about himself. And so he probably is sitting there waiting to hear a response, to hear these Jews to come back, to hear what Jesus had to say. But all of a sudden, he starts hearing rumblings that Jesus is on the way, and he's kind of bothered to that. And so he calls up some more friends and said, look, I want you to go, and I want you to take this message to Jesus right here, right now. I want you to run, and I want you to go tell him this. And so these friends run, and they get to Jesus, and they deliver this message. And he says that I am not worthy for you to come in my house. 
I want you to think about this man's view of God's holiness compared to that of those Jews who sought Jesus at first. The Jews approached Jesus with the attitude that, hey, this man has done these good deeds, and so he is worthy for you to do a work. And when I read about this, I think that a lot of times we, we sort of treat God like, uh, like we uh, always played, uh, what's, it, what's a skeet ball? You remember going to Chuck E. Cheese or wherever, and there's the skeet ball, whatever it is, you know, where you take the ball and you, you bowl it down the thing and it goes up in the hoops. And if it goes up in the right hoop, you start getting those tickets. Y'all remember that? And uh, I always liked playing that when it went to Chuck E. Cheese because that was about the only game I could play, you know, because I wasn't good at the fighting games and I sure wasn't good at the driving games. And so this is about the only game that I could do. And so you would go and you'd roll that ball down there and it'd go into a certain one of those rings. And then all of a sudden, buddy, those tickets are poured out, man, it was great. And uh, you always wanted to make sure that everybody knew how many tickets you had. So you'd make sure they'd roll all over the floor. And, um, and when they started rolling too much on the floor, you'd start running them down that aisle so everybody could just see how many tickets you had. And you just keep rolling that ball and getting that hoop and more tickets. And then finally at the end, you take that big stack of, uh, stack of tickets and you just roll it up to make sure that your wad of tickets was bigger than your brother's wad of tickets. And then you take your tickets over to this little counter. And there was this counter with all these uh, these items, and all these items, and you look down at the, at the bottom, and there'd be like these little, little trinket nothing things, and, uh, and, and uh, then as you go up, there'd be something bigger, something bigger, something bigger, and next to every item was a number about how many tickets it would take to get that certain item, and a lot of us as believers, we kind of treat Jesus like that, we think that the things that we do for God sort of earns us some tickets. And when we have an item and when we have a need, we'll come to God and we'll come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you should do this for us because I am worthy of it. I have done enough work for you. I have earned the tickets, and so you should grant this request for me. And that really is the disposition that they had about Jesus, is that this man was so good, and because of his goodness, he was worthy for Jesus to do him a favor. Now, if you're talking about a sinner, if they had a need, they were unworthy enough. Why? Because they weren't good enough. They didn't have enough tickets. And so when we come to God, we think that God would grant our request based on our goodness, based on our number of tickets. You think, you know what? I go to church every Sunday, so God should answer my request. You know, I help out at the church. I sit with somebody, you know, who's lonely, so I should get this request. I keep the nursery at church. I should get everything I want from the Lord. And sometimes, if we really think in our hearts and our lives, that's the way we are. We think that God grants our requests based on our worthiness, based on the things that we have done. And listen to the things that they mentioned for him to be worthy. 
that he loved our nation. In other words, he loved God's people. And that he paid and he actually had and took charge of the building of the church. And because he did those things, he is worthy for God to answer his request. And I know a lot of times, for those of us and for those of you who do a lot for the Lord, when things don't go right in your life, and when you pray to God and when you ask him something and you don't really get exactly what it is that you think you should get, you start to get a little angry and you start getting a little bitter. And you think in your heart, God, after I've all done all this for you, why don't you answer me? But that wasn't the centurion's disposition. He said, I am not worthy for you to even come in my house. And he said, you know, that's why I didn't even presume to even come to you. He said, I knew that I was so unworthy to be in your presence because of your holiness and because of my sinfulness. I sent people to come and speak for me that you would just speak a word because I didn't even want to come in your presence because you are so much holier than I am. A lot of times we think we're holy. A lot of times we think we're right where we need to be with God. And the reason why we get that disposition is because we compare ourselves to other people. We say, you know what? I'm holy and I'm right from God because I'm better than Gary or because I'm better than Tim. So I compare myself to those people and I think the works that I'm doing are much greater than theirs, so I must be right with God. But he knew, this centurion knew that that's not the standard. The standard is not how I compare with you. The standard is not how I compare with the people on the street. The, the standard is not how I compare with the murderers and the people in the jail. The standard is how I compare with the Holy Son of God. And when we make the comparison of our life to the one and only true Son of God, we realize how unworthy we are. But thanks be to God, even though that we are unworthy, the Lord hears us, and the Lord cares for us, and the Lord is attentive to each and every one of our concerns. The Lord knows the things that we need before we even ask them, and the Lord always graciously provides for us in his way, in his will. The centurion was honored for his faith because he knew how his life compared to the Son of God. He knew how holy the Son of God was. He recognized him for who he was, that he wasn't just a little bitty God that he could just ask around and do whatever. But he was a big, big God. Too many times we don't have that attitude of the centurion. And I want you to notice the next thing that he says to Jesus or the message that he sends to Jesus. He said, you know what? I'm a man of authority. 
And when I tell somebody to go do something, they go do it right then and right there or something bad happens. When I tell somebody to come, they come. When I tell somebody to go, they go. And I know that you, you are the one who is in authority over me. So I'm not going to treat you like one of my subjects. I'm not going to treat you like the rest of everybody else treats you, Jesus, because everybody else wants to treat Jesus. Everybody else wants to treat God like Santa Claus, right? I need, I need, I need. I want, I want, I want. Lord, give me this. Lord, give me that. And that's the way we treat God. God, I want this, and I want it now. And if I don't get this, and if I don't get it now, I get upset. And that's the way we respond to God. And that's the way that we treat him. But, G, but the centurion knew that God was a big God. And he knew that Jesus was the son of God. And he knew of his holiness. He knew of his righteousness. And he knew of his bigness. He knew of his greatness. He knew of his awesomeness. And so he wasn't going to come standing around like he's in charge of God because he recognized that Jesus was Lord of all. And so since he had such a high view, and since he recognized God as being so big, and since he recognized Jesus as the Son of God, then he had full confidence that Jesus could do anything. He was so confident in the power of God. He was so confident in the power that existed through Jesus, that Jesus didn't need to come to his house. He didn't need to wave his hand. He didn't need to do no magic trick. He didn't need to say hocus pocus. He didn't need to have any type of special stones or special oil or anything like that. But if Jesus just spoke it, it would happen. What a vision of God. But when we make our God into a little God that we can just boss around and tell where to go, that's a little God. And that little God that we make for ourselves is incapable of handling our big needs and doing big things. But when you believe in the one true God, when you believe in his holiness, when you believe in his bigness, then you understand that Jesus can do anything. I think about when Naaman came to, uh, came to Elijah, Elisha to be healed, and uh, Elijah told him, Elisha told him to go wash in the river, the river Jordan, seven times. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. That's dumb. I figured you would do some kind of hocus pocus. I thought you would just wave your hand or do some kind of incantation to heal me, but I'm not going to do that. He didn't really believe in God's true power. But the Lord is so powerful and Christ is so powerful that he can just merely speak and it happens. And so as Jesus hears this, a man who wasn't a part of the people of Israel 
a man that had never met him, never seen him face to face, had so much faith that he not only believed in his power to do the great work, but someone who recognized his holiness. And Jesus looked and he said to him, In Israel, I have not found anyone with such faith as this man. You see, our faith comes down to what really we believe who God is. And too many times we make God to be very small. Someone that we don't really have to listen to. Someone who we really don't have to obey. Someone who's just there to meet our needs. But you know what? That little God that we make in our life, that little idol that we make Christ out to be in our own life is really incapable of helping us. But when you believe in God for who he is, that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, you believe that he is there with you. You believe that he can save you from your sins. You believe that he has your greatest interest and his will is the best thing for you. You believe that he has the power to move mountains. You believe that he is the answer for everything in your life. So in every situation, in every, in every trouble, you go to Jesus because you have faith in the Lord who can do anything. So I come back to the question I asked at the beginning. What can we say about your faith? What is Jesus saying about your faith? Is he saying something commendable? Does he have a story about your trust in him? Or does he talk about how you really think that he's really, really small? And you just really sort of treat him like Santa Claus. That you just want to have him close enough to you so that when you need something that you ask for him. Or does he say of you that you have the faith, enough faith in the power of Jesus that you trust him for everything in your life? Let us realize this morning he is worthy. He is worthy for us to give him lordship of our life. He is worthy of our obedience, and he is worthy to be trusted for everything in our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, that even though that we were unworthy because of our sin, Lord, you took pity on us, and you died on the cross for our sins. And Lord, that through your death and through your resurrection and through your ascension, as you sit next to the Father, you plead for us. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we'll give our lives fully and completely to you, that we'll see you for the big God that you truly are. And we live our life in obedience and trust to you. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Let's stand.